Welcome to The Snap with Alexis Perry and Sydney Jones. Happy Hump Day, Broncos country, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Broncos Podcast Network for this week's episode of The Snap. I'm Alexis Perry, and as always, I am joined by the amazing Miss Sydney Jones. Sid, the Denver Broncos hosted the Tennessee Titans for their week one matchup on Monday Night Football. And while it was not the result we wanted, I think I can speak on behalf of both of us when I say that we are just excited to have Broncos football games to recap. I could not agree more, Alexis. I'm beyond excited that the season is finally underway. Honestly, I'm surprised we even made it here. There were a couple times this year I didn't think the season would ever start. Even yesterday while I was driving to the stadium, I kept thinking to myself, I cannot believe the season is finally here. I can't believe I'm about to watch the Broncos play football. Yeah, with so much uncertainty surrounding this 2020 season, I know it just felt like such a relief to finally see them go up against somebody else, some true live action. But I will say the only thing that was really, really weird, there was a moment when I was walking into the stadium last night. It was about five minutes before kickoff because we had a pregame show outside. And I stopped for a second and I looked around and I'm like, this is so weird. It was actually really eerie to be walking into a game that close to kickoff and there wasn't a single soul outside of Empower Field at mile high. I understand that those are the circumstances we are all under right now. However, just so you know, Broncos country, you guys were missed so much out at Empower Field at mile high on Monday night. All right, well, let's get right into it, starting with the quick snap of the day. That's A.J. Boye. A quick update on what we know now regarding the shoulder injury that took the Broncos' number one corner out of Monday night's game. Nine News was first to report that Boye dislocated his shoulder as he felt awkwardly on his outstretched right arm late in the first half. Sydney, it was popped back in. Gross. I will say there's no telling what the additional damage might be right now or just how much time he might miss. Of course, there is oodles of speculation. Mike Kliss saying that he is highly questionable for week two against the Steelers. But Coach Fangio said that he is undergoing an MRI, and that's all he can really tell us right now. So, Sydney, if Boye can't play Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, what does that mean for this Denver defense? I think it means that the Broncos defense is going to be forced to rely on their rookie cornerbacks just like they did Monday night after A.J. Boye's departure. We saw both third-round pick Michael Ojemudia and undrafted rookie Isang Bassi take on larger roles. Bassi had five tackles, including one for loss, while Ojemudia had two tackles and a pass breakup. Oh, and he nearly had an interception as well. And I think that was a good start for both of those guys, considering it was their first NFL game. And even Justin Simmons spoke on them after the game as well. He said he thought they tackled really well and were competing for balls in the passing game. Well, just like it has been at other positions so far this season, if Boya can't play on Sunday in Pittsburgh, that means it is next man up. All right, that does it for our quick snap today. But Sydney, there are a lot of other injuries we need to discuss. Philip Lindsay went out with turf toe. Cortland Sutton was not able to go Monday night, still recovering from the AC sprain. KJ Hamler missed the game with that nagging hamstring injury. And Von Miller was officially placed on IR on Tuesday. You know, Every team in the league is dealing with the injury bug, but it feels like it has bitten this team harder than most. Is there any word on any of those first three guys that I mentioned that might give us some hope that we may see them Sunday in Pittsburgh? 
Some good news for two of those guys, at least. Head coach Vic Fangio spoke with the media on Tuesday and gave that injury update. He said that KJ Hamler is set to make a full return to practice and expects to try to get him acclimated into the offense ahead of Sunday's matchup against the Steelers. And then for Cortland Sutton, we could see him return to practice as well. Fangio said he's making improvement in that. Hopefully by the end of the week, they'll know where he's at. But there's really not an update on Philip Lindsay yet. Fangio said he's still undergoing tests, so hopefully we'll know more soon. You know, I have a feeling, Sydney, that some people are hearing the term turf toe for the first time when talking about this Philip Lindsay injury because it is kind of a weird, random, maybe not so common injury. So uh, for those of you who are wondering, I just pulled up turf toe on WebMD. Call me Dr. Perry. Uh, and let me tell you what turf toe is. It is a common term used to describe a sprain of the ligaments around the big toe. It is a condition that's caused by jamming the big toe or repeatedly pushing off the big toe forcefully as in running and jumping. So hopefully that uh, maybe gives you some clarity on what it is that Philip Lindsay is going through right now. I feel bad for him. It is kind of a weird one, but I have a feeling he will be back sooner rather than later. Fingers crossed. I know I can speak on behalf of Broncos country and say, we hope to see all three of those guys back in the lineup on Sunday in the Berg. But before we talk about what else we want to see in week two, let's go back to this week one matchup. Of course, no team ever wants to start their season with a loss. And while there's still some frustration with how it all ended, I do think this team as a whole showed flashes at times, which they can really build off heading into Pittsburgh and throughout the remainder of the season. Sydney on offense, who or what were some of the positives that you took away from Monday night's game? No fan as a whole. During the offseason, you know, a lot of people talked about the jump he was going to make in year two, and we saw a flash of that Monday night. You know, best moment on offense came early in the game. I think it was the second possession. That's when they pieced together a 10-play, 63-yard touchdown drive, which ended in Drew Locke finding Noah Fant in the end zone. For Fant, that was just one catch in a big day for him as he finished with five catches for 81 yards and then that touchdown. And although it was all in the first half, we didn't see much of him in the second half. I think that's just the start of a big season for him. Everyone likes to cite that chemistry and connection Drew Locke should have with Albert Okuwebunam. And yes, that is our Okuwebunam flex of the show right there. But I will say, don't sleep on Noah Fant and the sophomore season that he's capable of. People always talk about the leap tight ends can make from year one to year two. You mentioned it, Sydney. And he's on track to make that leap this year. And that should make Broncos country really, really excited. What also made me excited was the accuracy we saw from Drew Locke on the run, which was on display on a few of those connections with Noah Fant. All in all, I loved Drew Locke's performance. I thought he showed command of the offense, a strong knowledge of Pat Shermer's system. You know, there was no armband which kind of was a little bit weird. I personally miss the Buzz Lightyear celebration look. Me too. Yeah, darn it. He's going to have to come up with something better this year. He said he said he's going to come up with something. I don't know what's better than the uh, the Buzz Lightyear, the Drew Lightyear. Come on, I was all about it. Um, <laughs> but I have to say, like, he never looked confused. He didn't look lost. He didn't have Monday night football jitters. All in all, you know, I thought he had really great poise and control of this offense. And, of course, he made a couple of mistakes, but those are to be expected. He threw for 216 yards, one touchdown. Didn't have any turnovers while he did fumble the ball two times. 
you know, we can overlook that because he did recover them both times as well. Um, that'll just be something he'll have to work on. Well, someone else who looked fantastic was the rookie center Lloyd Cushenberry. We didn't hear his name once which is a great thing when we're talking about an offensive lineman. And yes, like we mentioned, those fumbled snaps, but Drew Locke said those were not Lloyd Cushenberry's fault. Those were his fault. So as a whole, a great showing from Lloyd Cushenberry. And this line didn't allow a single sack on Drew Locke. So that is something that they can continue to build off of. I agree, Alexis. And I think it's good news that we didn't hear Garrett Bowles' name at all on Monday night. Even head coach Vic Vangio came out yesterday and said that the O-line pass protected well for the most part and that Garrett Bowles had a good game. He even was the highest graded offensive lineman, according to pro football focus. Well, a guy who was able to benefit from the strong showing from the offensive line was Melvin Gordon, who really stepped up with Philip Lindsay out. You remember that huge spark he provided this team on their opening drive of the fourth quarter, that 25 yard run. He averaged the most yards after contact of any running back in the league week one with 4.47 yards after contact. That is really, really impressive. And I have to say his pass protection was really good as well. I think so too, Alexis. Everyone was excited when we brought him in in the offseason, and he proved that he's going to be a big part of this Denver offense this year. He had 15 carries, 78 yards, that one touchdown. So I'm excited to see what he does for the rest of the season. Somebody who I'm really looking forward to seeing week two up against the Pittsburgh Steelers is the rookie wideout Jerry Judy, who, yes, he caught four passes for 56 yards. That's the most receiving yards by a Bronco in his NFL debut since Demarius Thomas in 2010. But he had two drops, and I will say they were detrimental, especially the last one for this Broncos team. So I'm excited for week two for him because I think it's going to be a huge bounce back game for Jerry Judy. I think he's going to be unstoppable. I completely agree, Alexis. I'm extremely excited to see him. And, you know, like you mentioned, that second drop came in the Broncos final drive and was kind of a game changing moment. But, you know, everyone makes mistakes. You said this was his first NFL game. No one expected him to come out and be perfect, even though he expected that himself. But we did see flashes of the game-breaking potential that he can have and that I hope we will see for the rest of the season. Let's go ahead and take a look at the other side of the ball. I thought the inside linebackers and Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell played really as well as we could have hoped. A couple of silly mistakes or interesting calls, I guess, for both of those guys. But as a whole, I thought those two guys really shined. I completely agree, Alexis. They both looked really good. And I was kind of surprised that Alexander Johnson led the team with 12 tackles. But even Coach Fangio said yesterday that he thought him and Josie handled things well for the most part. You know, he said a couple calls weren't as quick as he liked them to be, but overall that they looked really good. Yeah, it's crazy to think that Alexander Johnson didn't even make his Broncos debut until week four last year. Now he's the guy with the headset and the helmet taking over that role from Todd Davis. And I thought he looked really confident in that role. And Josie Jewell, man, he looked really good, especially, you know which one I'm going to talk about, Sydney, that third quarter play where he leveled Derrick Henry. Demolished him. Just crushed Wild. him. Wild. <laughs> That was a really good taste of what we can expect from Josie Jewell this year. He finished with eight combined tackles, but it felt like a lot more because he was flying all over the place. Uh, shout out to Jeremiah Atachu, first sack of the season. Great to see him step up in the absence of Von Miller. And really as a whole, I thought that entire front seven looked really strong. Although they didn't hold Henry to just 28 yards this time around, he only averaged 3.7 yards per carry, which if you would have told the Broncos that's what they would do to Derrick Henry before the game, I think they would have been really happy with that. So as a whole, I say this team looked good. 
obviously didn't get the win, but they were this close to beating a Super Bowl contender. You guys remember the Titans gave the Chiefs a run for their money in that AFC championship game, at least for a little while. And the Broncos almost beat them week one, their first game, their first bit of live action since that AFC championship game, the Broncos almost beat them. And I know almost isn't good enough, but given it was their first live action that this team has seen in nine months, I'd say they looked pretty darn good. I think people sometimes forget that this team did not have any preseason games, did not really do any live tackling during training camp. So honestly, I wasn't upset with Monday night's game. While I'm upset the Broncos did lose, I think they're only going to go up from here. Yep. They're on the right track. I cannot wait for week two. All right, Sydney, it's the first time we're doing this. We are going to hand out some snaps and no, this is not your Wednesday night poetry slam, but this is a good time to recognize a player or anyone you feel deserves some extra recognition. My snaps are going to rookie corner, Michael Ojemudia. I know I talked about him earlier, but I'm going to do it again. He had a key pass breakup and would have had an interception, but a personal foul penalty on Alexander Johnson wiped out that turnover. I just think he really stepped it up in AJ Boye's place, facing a really tough matchup against the Titans receiver, AJ Brown. So snaps to you, Michael. Well, I'm going to give my snaps to a special teamer, and that is the punter, Sam Martin. He averaged 46.4 yards per punt, stuck three within the 20-yard line, and he even penned the Titans on their own four-yard line late in the fourth quarter. And it was a thing of beauty. Let me tell you, I love checking out Broncos Twitter during the game because it was hilarious seeing everybody tweeting about the punter, Sam Martin. Usually people only tweet bad things about punters. Everybody was talking how much they love the guy, how much they love this signing for the Broncos. I think I even saw one guy say that he had a epic man crush on Sam Martin. So Great work, Sam Martin. We are highly impressed with you and your Denver Broncos debut. Snaps to you, sir. Well, one person who deserves snaps as well for her work in the Denver community in the short time that she has been here is Ryan Casey, wife of Broncos defensive lineman and five-time pro bowler, Jarrell Casey. But more importantly, she is a licensed attorney specializing in criminal defense and also the co-founder of the Casey Fund, which works to support community-based organizations that address the needs of at-risk youth and formerly incarcerated people. Like you all know, one of our main goals here on The Snap is to highlight some of the most amazing women working in and around the Broncos organization and the National Football League. Sydney recently caught up with Ryan to learn more about the initiatives she's spearheading here in Denver alongside her husband, Jarrell. Let's listen in. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on The Snap. Now, I know Monday night's outcome wasn't what we had hoped, but it was a huge game for your family. Obviously, Jarrell playing for the Titans for nine years. What were the emotions like for your family, and what was it like watching Jarrell go up against his former team? I mean, the emotions were high, to be honest with you. Um, I think that everyone likes to call this just a business, and it is, but it's also when you spend nine years of your life doing something, it means something to you at the end of the day. Um, so for it to be the first game, no preseason game or anything, it was just like a lot of emotions, a, a new city and everything. But, you know, although the outcome wasn't good, I saw a lot of promising things happening during the game. So, you know, that's all you can ask for. I, As far as the Titans, I have some really awesome friends on that team, but at the end of the day, I was hoping we were going to beat them, quite frankly. So. <laughs> You know, the outcome wasn't what we wanted, but, you know, it is what it is. It's on to Pittsburgh. 
I know we were all hoping for a win. Now, Ryan, you mentioned the transition to a new city. What has the transition to Denver been like for you and your family? Are you guys settled in yet? Yeah. So the exciting thing, well, um, is that we are West Coast people. So we're back on the West Coast. We're about an hour and a half away from family now, which is awesome for us. Um, you know, although COVID brought a lot of and is currently bringing a lot of negative things, it was really helpful for us to have a slow pace as far as moving back to Nat. Um, I mean, moving to Denver. Mm -hmm. um, so you didn't have all the pressures of like, you know, trying to maintain the same kind of life you were already having, whether it's the kids involved in daycare or swim or whatever activities they were doing, they were already on pause. So the transition was a lot easier because it's not like they were missing out on too much. Um, you know, like I said, I understand COVID's really tough right now, but I have to say that was one blessing for us as it was kind of moving slow already. So, well, that's awesome. You get to be closer to your family now. And with that transition from Nashville to Denver, you and Jarrell also brought the We Stand For campaign to the Broncos that you had started back in Tennessee. Can you tell me a little bit about the origin of that campaign? Sure. So um, it's sort of started when um, there was a lot of going on around Kaepernick kneeling. And so we super supported what he was doing and the meaning behind what he was doing. But um, well, in addition to that, not but, but in addition to that, we wanted to do something to kind of um, take it off the field because on the field definitely was getting the momentum it needed to get. Even if people were upset about it, that's how you get a, a change started. Um, so we were talking to the ownership at the Titans as well as the community advocates or the, the community um, staff for the Titans. And we we're just trying to figure out some different ways that we could be more involved. Um, and so that's how this campaign came about. It Realistically, you need the financial support to make change. And so the Titans were willing to get behind that. And then it was a chance for you to take off, the players to take off their helmet and for people to see their faces and kind of understand what really means a lot to them. Um, I remember when I was talking to Tina Tuggle from the Titans, she was telling me about an article that she had read where um, football players get a lot more criticism for making these kind of uh, changes because people don't see them personally because they have a helmet on. So you don't really get a full understanding or really care for who they are because you know them more as a jersey and a helmet. So this was a chance for them to take off their helmets. Majority of them um, didn't, or, or all the players didn't wear anything Titan related, same way we did with the Broncos, because it was a chance for you to talk about what meant something to you outside of football. Football is the platform, no doubt about it. But this is your chance to kind of talk about something that meant something outside of football to you and was really important. Yeah, how important was it for you guys to bring that campaign here to Denver and potentially see it continue to grow across multiple teams? Right. So initially, we were obviously sad about leaving the Titans, but you have to realize that there's a purpose and a reason for everything. And part of the reason for being here is being able to make a change in this community as well, adding on to what Broncos players are already doing. So um, it meant a lot to us and it was really important to us that we kind of keep that momentum going um, because right now through social media and everything, this is a big deal. Um, it should have always been a big deal. For some people, it has always been a big deal. Um, but we had to keep that momentum going because um, you need to. This is the platform to do it. Absolutely. Now, the We Stand For campaign launched here in Denver last week. In those videos, you and Jarrell talked about the Casey Fund. For those listening who don't know, what is the Casey Fund and why was it so important for you two to start it? Yeah, sure. So the Casey Fund is a fund and not a foundation. We do have 501c3 status, but um, our goal was to support foundations that are already doing awesome work. Um, sometimes you don't need to reinvent the wheel, you just need to add to it. And that's how we felt about the Casey Fund. 
Um, specifically, we have two target groups. Um, one is children, um, specifically pouring resources into children to kind of curb the school to prison pipeline because research has found that that's the way to do it. If we pour resources, positive resources into children, then their focus is on doing the right thing and doing good things um, for their community and for themselves. So that's the one half of it. The other half is kind of um, pouring resources to people coming out of prison um, because it benefits the whole community if resources are poured into people who have been away from society. We want them to be successful the same way we want anyone else to be successful. And this is a group that has a stigma attached to it, whether they should or shouldn't we think they shouldn't um, they do but we still need to invest in them and so that's our second target group now how's the transition from nashville to denver been in regards to the casey fund correct me if i'm wrong but is it based in nashville um well sort of so we were based in nashville which made the casey fund based in nashville we have um we have a couple of initiatives happening in nashville so we're happy to still continue to do things in nashville but it kind of follows us so um, we're now kind of pouring our resources a lot more into um, Denver, um, as well as we do a lot for the California community as well. We have a, a liaison named Will who assists us with California um, initiatives. Then we're still working, since we're still, co still connected to Nashville, we still do some stuff in Nashville. But we're doing a lot. We're trying to get, pour our resources into Denver and kind of get our, get our feet on the ground as much as we can in Denver. And so far, we've been doing really well. We have, let me see. Um, three initiatives coming out in Denver in the next couple weeks, which we're really proud of. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's just about kind of going where, where football takes us. And in this case, it takes to Denver. So we're happy to make a difference in this community. Can you tell us a little bit more about those three initiatives? Sure. So the first one we have is um, with a rural school district. Our goal was we usually do a back to school drive. We can't do a back to school drive this year or we haven't this year because it kind of looks different. Um, and there's a huge emphasis on technology. So what we decided to do was be involved as much as we can at ending the um, digital divide is what it's called. And I'm putting air quotes <laughs> because what that kind of means is there are a lot of kids that do not have the proper resources from a technology standpoint to be successful in school. Um, it's unrealistic that we expect kids to use their kids' phone, I mean, their parents' phones or um, that kind of thing in order, or sharing um, computer technology with their um, siblings. So we um, are part of our rural school district um, um, initiative, along with PCs for People, Butterfly Foundation, and a few others, where we are getting computers to children in the Aurora School District. Um, so we're super proud of that. Um, the second one is um, with the Park Hill Pirates, and it's kind of the same thing. The Park Hill Pirates is a student athlete program, a football program based out of Park Hill. And so what we're doing is something similar to what we're doing with Aurora School District, is we are getting, um, we are partnering with PCs for People again to provide um, computers along with um, the internet access and then the internet device um, for all of the student athletes. So um, that way, same thing, in order for them to be successful, they have to have the proper resources. And so this is like our version of a, a back to school drive. Um, so we're super excited about that. And then we have another initiative coming up, which I can talk about after I have a um, conference call later today, just to confirm a few details. Um, but we have another one coming out that is also supporting the Denver area. Those are awesome, Ryan. I cannot wait to see those initiatives in action here in Denver. Now you and Jarrell have two boys and I know it's really important to you to show them the impact you're making in the community. What do you want this world to look like for your children and for your children's children in the future? 
Um, I think that I want everyone to have more empathy for other people. And I think that starts with kind of looking inside yourself and realizing how you can make a difference for the community. I want people to care, quite frankly. I mean, we have a lot of people who just don't care because it doesn't impact them, um, because it, it hasn't impacted them yet. The reality is it probably will at some point. So I just want people to care more. I mean, it's just that simple. And I mean care on every single level, whether we're talking about systematic racism, whether we're talking about blatant racism, whether we're talking about women's rights, whether we're talking about anything. I just want people to care outside of themselves on a bigger, broader scale. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us on The Snap today. We really appreciate your time and we cannot wait to see the impact you and Jarrell continue to make here in Denver. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. If you guys at home want more information on the Casey Fund, you can find it on thecaseyfund.org. And also you can go to denverbroncos.com backslash we stand for to learn more about the Broncos new campaign. Great information, Sydney. But sadly, that is all the time we have for this week's edition of The Snap. But be sure to tune in same time, same place next week. For Sydney Jones, I'm Alexis Perry. Thank you so much for listening to the Broncos Podcast Network.